Welcome to another edition of Conversations with Creative Women. I'm Sandy Klein. If you're like me, you likely never heard of a sex or intimacy choreographer. But boy, do these professionals have their work cut out considering the times we're living in. Chelsea Pace, my guest today, is not only an intimacy choreographer, she's a movement specialist, educator, co-founder, and head faculty of theatrical intimacy education and an assistant professor of movement at the University of Maryland, Baltimore. For more than 10 years, she's been working to develop ethical, efficient, and effective ways to stage intimacy, nudity, sexual violence. Chelsea's also president of the Association for Theater Movement Educators and has been invited to choreograph, teach, present, and consult at universities and theater companies around the country. She also happens to be an author. Staging Sex is a comprehensive practical guide for choreographers, stage managers, movement coaches, professional actors, and acting students on how to stage intimacy, nudity, and sexual violence. Chelsea has a bachelor's in music from Binghamton University in upstate New York and a master's of fine arts degree in performance from Arizona State University. Boy, have we got lots to talk about. So let's get started. (laughs) Chelsea, welcome, and thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm looking forward to chatting with you. I'm going to start with the obvious. Nobody grows up thinking, you know, I want to be a sex choreographer or an intimacy choreographer. (laughs) How in God's name did you wind up in this really impressive occupation? Well, I can certainly say that my parents didn't expect that this is what their (laughs) daughter would be doing. Um, (laughs) um, They've had, they've, they've had the great pleasure or misfortune of having to explain it to their friends for the last (laughs) several years. There's Um, a conversation stopper, right? Hi, what does your daughter do for a living? Right. (laughs) I started in performance in classical music. So uh, from an early age, I um, had the opportunity through the privilege of growing up in an area with really tremendous public schools. I was exposed to music education at a really young age and started in instrumental music. And then um, as I got older, got really interested in vocal performance um, and classical vocal performance. So I started to study opera. And went into college thinking I was very sure that I was an opera singer. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had always done musicals. I'd always done operettas. And as I started um, spending more and more time in a practice room, I found myself more and more missing the collaborative environment of the rehearsal studio for theatrical rehearsals. So I started to shift back into musicals. Um, and then that turned into shifting into straight plays and classical plays and um, then more modern plays. And then I, I like to say experimental theater or making um, performances in other people's bathtubs. <laughs> so I really came into this work as a performer. And as I was working as a performer, I found that the physical work was what was most interesting to me, stage combat, stage movement, um, choreography of any kind. That was what I was most drawn to. And I noticed as I was having the opportunity to do a lot of highly physical work, um, both in my training and also in roles that I was being cast in, that there was so much specificity surrounding how to stage a fight, how to stage a moment of dance, how to stage or even how to develop the movement vocabulary for a particular character. But there seemed to be no technique 
around staging intimacy. The, the most technique there seems to be was, oh, just kiss each other and hope that the actors knew what kissing looked like. What year was this? It was in around 2010. I was still an undergrad okay. at the time. Okay. So I've been doing this work for 10 years, mm-hmm. which is very weird to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it started as an interest and a question. It wasn't really, I would certainly wouldn't have considered it a formal research inquiry. <laughs> and I certainly wasn't um, considering myself a choreographer at that point. But I started just with friends and colleagues as we were working on things. I started wondering about developing better ways of staging intimacy, or at least figuring out what ways there were. Um, And in that inquiry, I came across a lot of folks who had a lot of different disparate tools at their disposal. Some people had ways that they established boundaries. Some people had ways that they staged choreography, um, but no one seemed to have comprehensive methods. And I noticed that things were falling through the cracks. So folks that had taken a lot of time to consider how to tell a good physical story through intimacy maybe hadn't considered the power dynamics inherent in a director asking an actor to do something. Um, and folks that had really spent a lot of time thinking about power and consent and boundaries maybe hadn't given as much thought to their casting practices. Um, and so there seems to be a lot of overlap in people's practices, but the, there were a lot of holes and no one was holding all the pieces. Violent scenes, sex scenes, nudity is not new. And so no. so for all these years before, it was just never addressed in the way, forget the Me Too movement for a second, but it was never addressed in the way that it has been in the more recent past. People have been staging intimacy for as long as people have been staging theater. Um, and people have just found a way to get it done. Like everyone has a way that they do it. And it may not be a consistent from time they stage intimacy to time they stage intimacy, but when there's intimacy in your show, you get it staged. And so staging intimacy isn't new. And um, there are a lot of folks who have been thinking about this work for a really long time, like decades and decades of people really investigating their practices and wondering if there are better ways to do these things. So like the discipline of intimacy choreography is new relative to the discipline of theater making. Okay. Um, But it's not a particularly new discipline at all. You didn't reinvent the wheel. No, no. Anybody that tells you that they invented intimacy choreography (laughs) hasn't really considered that um, there wasn't really anything to be invented. Um, we're we're telling physical stories and we all have ways of telling physical stories and some ways have um, advantage, always have advantages and disadvantages. And what I'm looking for is the way that has the fewest disadvantages for the most people. So Chelsea, who hires you? Professionally, I, I work um, at a range of institutions from small local theaters. Um, and I have a show that I'm currently working on that's off Broadway right now. And in film, sort of the same spectrum. I'm working on small short films, and I I just signed on yesterday, actually, to a major network new show that I can't say anything about. <laughs> so if you take us through your paces, Chelsea Pace, um, is it that you are there during the rehearsal period and that's all, and then your work is done for this particular 
play or movie? Generally, yes. Sometimes I have uh, the great fortune to be brought onto a process before casting has happened or while the production's still pretty early on in pre-production. And when that happens, I'm able to um, consult and give some advice about casting best practices, best practices for auditions and callbacks, considerations that a production team might want to make with regards to um, how they're bringing people in on the production or how they're writing their casting calls. And then once a show opens, once a, um, a theatrical production or a live performance opens, generally I'm hands off. Um, if something arises, I can always come back in and, and consult and help troubleshoot. Um, but I try and establish as many safeguards as possible into the process so that we're not discovering issues with the choreography two weeks into a run. With film, occasionally I do post-production consultation as well. It just depends on the needs of the production. So you're hired by the director, correct, of either uh, live theater or film, right? Well, in film, uh, generally the contact is coming from the producers. Okay. Not the directors. I, I have been contacted directly by directors for film projects, um, but more often than not, it's, it's coming from producers. And depending on the scale of the production, sometimes that starts with a call from a production assistant and sometimes that starts with a call from a producer. And in theater, I'm getting reached out to by people further up the chain. So the producer, the artistic director, the director, um, but they're reaching out to me not because they've necessarily decided that they want to hire an intimacy choreographer or coordinator, but someone on the production, often an actor, has expressed a desire for some support in the intimacy work. And so that initial phone call often isn't, hey, I want to hire an intimacy choreographer or coordinator. That initial phone call is, so what do you do? <laughs> <laughs> right. I love that conversation. I found out about you in a New York Times magazine section article, and it was one of those, what, as I was reading on. And it's <laughs> not like I'm so full of myself. How come I didn't know this? But Obviously, it makes so much sense, and it certainly makes a lot of sense in today's climate. But by, before we talk about that, I want to ask you to take us through the process. And let me say that recently I saw a, an amazing, wonderful Broadway show called The Inheritance. And as I was going through the playbill, I happened to see intimacy coordinator. Now, I saw that after I had read about you, so it wasn't a complete shock to me. But there is a lot of simulated gay sex in this play. And it's so obvious that an intimacy choreographer would need to be part of the staff. I mean, it's a no-brainer. <laughs> I think sometimes when we think about intimacy choreography or coordination, I, I think people get really excited about the idea and think, oh my goodness, every production needs to have an intimacy choreographer or coordinator. Um, and I actually think that that's not the right way to think about it. What every production needs is somebody in the room who knows some best practices for staging intimacy, who's bringing consent-based work into the room, who's thinking about things like establishing boundaries, who's thinking about things like consent and how that's going to work in the rehearsal room. So if you have a production where you have a simple kiss at the end, I don't think you necessarily need a choreographer for right, that. Right. If you do, 
let me know and Mm -hmm. I'll set you up with somebody. But my goal and the goal at Theatrical Intimacy Education, which I uh, co-founded with my incredible colleague, Laura Reichard, our goal is to make the people who are already in the room better at being in the room. Um, Because we can say like, of course, it's so obvious that this production needs a choreographer. But as educators, both Laura and I look at the productions that our students are graduating and being cast in. And these are not production companies that have the capacity to hire a choreographer. And we're not training them to be choreographers necessarily, but we're training them to communicate with their partners, to communicate with the director, um, to have some best practices under their belt so that they're not walking into a situation blind and hoping that there's going to be a choreographer there. Has it ever happened that you have been at odds with the director that I had also read in this article that sometimes there's this issue that the director might feel, I use this term in quotes, marginalized by having an intimacy coordinator there? So when I talk to directors, whether they're excited to have me on the team or not, I start the conversation by asking, how can I support your production? And I I think it's important for directors to hear early on that I'm coming into this production, coming into their process in a supportive role. Right. I'm not there to be the sex police. I'm not there to tell them what they can and cannot do. I want to help them realize their vision. And in talking with directors about what my process can look like, I ask them a lot of questions about how they work, how they want to work, how they imagine particular moments happening. And in that conversation, we're able to come to an understanding of how we're going to work together. They're really receptive to me coming in and making their lives a little bit easier. We're all on the same side. And um, if a director looks at me and says, I want gratuitous nudity because I want it to be gratuitous, I go, great. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Let's find the right actors for that. Um, It's not my job to judge the artistic choices. If they ask for my creative input, I I am in the room as an artist, not just an executor of the visions of others. So I'm always happy to, to help. And some directors say like, can you just take care of it? And then they give me a lot of space to choreograph and tell the story. Um, But it's all in service of the story. And the director's primary role in a production is to advocate for the story and to make sure that that story gets told So I'm doing whatever I can to support the telling of that story in a way that's going to work for the actor's boundaries. Right, right. I guess as I watch a performance, both film and theater, it just strikes me as I think to myself, good Lord, I just couldn't do this. You don't really appreciate, I think, what it must be like to have a romp in in bed with somebody or to be of the victim of rape or whatever it might be, it gives you pause. Well, I think actors are, are these incredibly empathetic beings oftentimes who want to embody the experience of their characters. Um, and sometimes that's really productive and sometimes that's not. And in the case of where we're staging intimacy or we're staging sexual violence, At no point am I asking the actors to engage psychologically or emotionally with the reality of what it would be to do this with this other person. You know, we have the truth of the situation that the characters are in, 
And then we have the reality of the situation that the actors are actually living in. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah, it's really important to maintain that separation because in stage combat, for example, there's physical distance between my fist and my partner's face when we do a punch. My fist is not actually coming in contact with my partner's face. Right. But in theatrical intimacy, if I'm staging a kiss, my face is going on my partner's face. Right. And so it's important to remember that even though there's not an enormous technical difference, I mean, and with some intimate acts, there are significant technical differences between what real intimacy would look and feel like and what stage intimacy would look and feel like. But in the case of a kiss, it's, it's actually almost identical. So it's important that the actor is not worrying. Am I kissing my scene partner or are characters kissing each other? And what does that mean? Should we kiss more later? Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> it can get really complicated. It gets really complicated when we're staging scenes of sexual violence and people are struggling to walk away from those roles at the end of the night. Um, and that's because they haven't had technique that they can use. If the way the scene is being directed is you are afraid and you are being attacked and you have to fight for your life and you are the aggressor and you're really trying to do this terrible thing to this person and it's a power move and you want them to be afraid. Like if that's the way that scene is being directed, then of course those actors are having a hard time shaking it off at the end of the night. Right. right. But if instead of using psychologically loaded language, we use technical language So you are going to open the distance from your partner. You're going to avoid eye contact. As you're opening the distance, I want you to use muscle and bone level contact. We're going to do this for eight counts. Partner B, you're closing distance, seeking eye contact. I want you to use a lot of breath here. And can you close distance not only with your partner, but with the wall behind them? That's technical, but it's telling the same story. And the actors will then fill that with their imagination. They know what's happening in the play. They don't need me to tell them how it should feel to live in that situation. Mm -hmm. What they need from me is a form, a container, a technique that they can then use their acting technique, their craft to fill. Mm -hmm. I want you to differentiate for me your job from before Me Too and now during Me Too. Big differences? If we think about how people felt about intimacy choreography six years ago as a spectrum, we had um, people at the one far end who were sort of like, I don't know what that is, but I don't think I like it. Mm. People in the middle who were like, I don't know what that is. What are you talking about? And people at the other end who were like, I don't know what that is, but that sounds handy. Uh (laughs) That sounds like a good idea. Now, post me to there's been a shift where down at the, I don't know what that is, but I think it sounds handy. And we now have some really fierce advocates for this work and people who are, even if they're not trained in it, even if they don't have a lot of experience with it are like, this is a thing we should be doing. I don't know how to do it, but let's do it more. This makes sense. And they're learning about it and they're seeking training and they're pursuing different avenues for integrating consent into their rehearsal and performance practices. In the middle of the spectrum, we've still got a few people that are like, I don't know what that is, but that's a much smaller segment of the population. 
And then down, way, way down on the other far end, we've got just a few holdouts. (laughs) And those holdouts have, have dug in a bit and have gone from, what is that? I don't want it to, this is a, a, I don't want it. I don't want to give up my power. or I don't want to give up um, my control. And I've found that often when they learn a little bit more about the work and realize that my interest is not in disempowering them, it's just in redistributing a little bit of the power in the rehearsal room. Um, and they see that I'm not a threat. <laughs> uh-huh. They're willing to leave a little bit of room. And I don't mind being in the room with a skeptic. I don't mind that at all. But I found that the best way to show someone that this work is valuable is to do it with them. Are you there during auditions for a movie or play? I'm often not there for the audition. Um, and that's more a consideration of my schedule. Okay. Um, and the number of projects I'm working on at any given time than it is anything else. Um, I miss a lot of auditions and I miss a lot of opening nights, um, which is very sad. (laughs) Uh Uh It sort of just comes with the territory. But with auditions, what I, what I like to do if I'm brought onto the process prior to auditions is I like to consult with the production team, either for theater or film about how they write their casting notices Um, best practices for the actual auditions in the room, whether or not there's any intimacy in the sides that they're having actors read. And if there is some considerations, some alternatives to having the actors just trying to kiss each other in the rehearsal or in the audition room. And then also working with them on some paperwork, the very glamorous part of intimacy choreography that's just paperwork. Uh And that paperwork is a tool for helping actors disclose boundaries in a way that feels less high pressure than the director saying, I love you for this role. You're my top choice. You're okay with nudity, right? (laughs) (laughs) Uh Um, Because that's a situation that a a lot of actors eager for work, eager to please, uh, eager to yes and, that they're going to maybe not Take, this, take a moment to consider their boundaries before answering yes. So how can we preempt that with some administrative paperwork um, prior to the audition? I'm thinking as I've watched nudity and some very intimate scenes live that that's just such an amazing dynamic. Yes, you're, you're not making a big deal about it as an audience member because this is sort of the natural flow of the play, but you just can't lose sight of the fact that these two people, if it's whether it's straight sex or gay sex, awkward physical mm-hmm. moments, how do you deal with that? With awkward physical moments? Yeah. And an erection is what I'm uh, talking about. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, we call them visible signs of arousal. <laughs> so, uh, because there's, there's more than just erections uh, that can happen during intimacy because our bodies are responding to physical stimulus. Of course. And it doesn't mean necessarily that you have any particular desire during your scene partner, but friction yields particular results. And so, yeah, there are, there are solutions. There's, there are desensitizing garments that actors can wear um, that are special made. And sometimes it's just as simple as um, having an actor double up their underwear. Oh, but the major thing is if an erection happens or if there's another visible sign of arousal, if that means that in the moment you need to pause because that crosses a boundary for either of the actors involved, then 
we pause. Uh, and I'm talking in rehearsal, not in performance. Okay. Um, and by performance, we want to have this stuff ironed out, you know, have those desensitizing garments on hand, have some other techniques and tools. Right. But in rehearsal, we can stop. But if a, an erection or a visible sign of arousal isn't changing the partner's boundaries and they're able to keep working, then that's fine too. Cause it's just bodies. Right. And so if, but if that, if your partner having an erection means you want to pause for a minute, then we have a tool for pausing for a minute in rehearsal and the best remedy for an erection, just pro tip is to move the blood somewhere else and push-ups are really useful for doing that. Wow. The fact that you teach this at the college level is also relatively new. I teach stuff from my intimacy work in my classes, but I'm not teaching them intimacy. I'm not staging simulated intercourse with my students in the classroom on a Wednesday morning. The principles of my work that I'm bringing into the classroom as a movement teacher are things like our physical boundary practice, you know, where you can touch your partners, where your partners can touch you, um, not for use in intimate context, but so we can do this contact improv exercise or so we can work on this scene that you've been working on without having to ask, may I touch you, may I touch you, may I touch you, may I touch you as you're working with your scene partner. I bring in those principles into my classroom. The full intimacy work when I'm working as a choreographer, I'm often doing that with undergraduate students or graduate students. But in that capacity, I'm working as a choreographer. So I'm not taking them through the full process for staging intimacy and explaining and teaching out the whole pedagogy. I'm applying the tool as it was developed to accomplishing the physical storytelling for a particular moment. Does that make sense? Yes. Yes, it does. It does. And how have you seen things change? I mean, are you feel that we're all in a good place now when it comes to this? My goal is to never be adversarial. I have an intentionally positive approach to um, my work as a teacher and also my work as a choreographer. I come into the room assuming that we're all working towards a common goal, whether we express that differently or not. And so I do think that we are more on the same page than as an industry than we were, certainly than we were 10 years ago. Right. But I also think it's, it's okay that not everybody's sure about this intimacy choreography thing. I don't need this to be everybody's cup of tea. Okay. What I would love is if every theater teacher, every college professor, every director, every choreographer, every stage manager would consider consent and how they can integrate consent into their own practice. That priority uh, is way more important to me than whether or not we have a choreographer in every room in America. I've gotten really good at being in one place while I'm there. Um, and then as soon as I'm done being in that place, I start working on where I need to be next. Mm -hmm. I'm extremely fortunate that I have an incredibly supportive partner. And in my research, Laura, we, we pick up each other's slack mm -hmm. um, as we're working on projects and we're training a team to be able to do this work. And we've been working with some of the folks for over a year now, getting them ready to to step up. And we've been putting them into into other roles so that we can focus on on different aspects of the training and developing it. And I'm also really well supported by my husband. 
I would not be able to do what I do if I didn't live with someone who ensured that we had food in the refrigerator <laughs> and, <laughs> and um, was in charge of reminding me that we need to do laundry. Um, and so I think having a supportive partner in my life and a supportive partner in my research is absolutely key to being able to do this amount of work at this level. And I'm also really well supported by my department at the University of Maryland, Baltimore County. And not every academic has this much freedom to pursue their research. And I'm really fortunate that my department values it as highly as they do and that the university values it as highly as they do. Well, clearly they value you, and that's a great way to end. I thought this was absolutely fascinating, Chelsea, and I'm so glad that we were able to have this conversation. Really, really fascinating. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure chatting with you. Well, much more continued success, and the next time I'm watching a movie or at the theater, you're the one I'm going to reference. I'll see you in my head. Oh, thanks. <laughs> Join us for another edition of Conversations with Creative Women. I'm Sandy Klein.